On today's Patriot Nation podcast, we are talking quarterbacks. So, of course, there's only one person to have on when we're talking about quarterbacks, and that, of course, is Mark Schofield. So he joins the show to talk quarterbacks with us uh, today. We also have a discussion about the new bracket that got released. If you haven't seen it already, check patspulpit.com. You can check on Twitter as well. It is the biggest busts of the Belichick era. It's a lot of fun. It's a great conversation. And so uh, Mark and I kind of break down uh, that as well at the end of our quarterback conversation. It's a heck of a show. We're going to get right into it with Mark. And so there's no beginning. It's going to be all the all the uh, bracket discussion is going to be at the end of the episode. So the beginning, we're going to get right into our interview with Mark about the quarterbacks. So it's a heck of a show. So buckle up and cue the music. Stack receivers, two to the right. Russell Wilson extends the hands he has. Pass. Wilson, quick throw. And it's intercepted. Intercepted. So joining us is the hardest working man in show business. He is all over the place. He is host a podcast for uh, Pat's Pulpit, as you probably know, host a podcast for Bleeding Green Nation, uh, works, uh, just got a job at, uh, at the NFL Wire. He is Mark Schofield. We're talking quarterbacks today. And so, of course, Mark Schofield is on the show. Mark, welcome on, my friend. Pat Spags, uh, what's going on, guys? It's great to be with you. Uh, excited to be uh, with you guys tonight. Talk some QBs. Um, always a fun time to chat about the quarterback class when it's coming up. Um, I know, I know, we get some guys we're excited to chat about as well. So I've been looking forward to this one. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Mark. It's always a pleasure, man. Nah, man, I'm. I'm go- I was excited when you guys reached out. <laughs> yeah. The QB no, guru. So I, I guess, uh, Pat, let's let's get it going, right? I mean. Um, the first it. guy I want to talk about is uh, is your boy Mark, and I said that to you when I when I kind of posted that thread. Uh, Anthony Gordon out of Washington State, six three two ten. Uh, pretty interesting story. Obviously, he had zero scholarship offers out of high school. Went to JUCO, went to JUCO route, balled out, landed with Mike Leach at Washington State, and you know the rest is history. Uh, led the nation in passing yards with uh, fifty five hundred seventy nine. Uh, 72% completion percentage, 48 touchdowns to 16 interceptions. Uh, just a true great arm talent. I think the best thing about him is a true gunslinger, throw with velocity and distance. And, you know, one of his best traits is the ability to throw from multiple arm slots. Mark, you probably had a great look at it at the Senior Bowl where he hit that. I think it was like a little end zone fade, goal line fade yeah. to the corner of the end zone. Uh, he kind of threw it off his back foot from, from like almost like a shortstop would in the, deep in the hole. Beautiful throw. I, I really like this kid. And, uh, you know, probably a day three pick, I think, maybe fifth or sixth round. Somewhere the Patriots could jump on him, like I said, in day three is one of those picks. Yeah, I mean, I you know, what's interesting, Spax, is you kind of nailed it when you mentioned the sort of the off-platform off stuff and you, you brought up the fact that he looked like a shortstop. What was 
interesting talking to him out in Indianapolis at the combine, you know, last week or so. Uh, Derek Clawson from Water World asked him about, you know, his ability to make off-platform throws, and he went right to his baseball background. He said that, you know, baseball was his first sport, didn't start playing high, football until high school. Uh, he was a middle yeah, infielder. Yeah, Mark, not to, not to cut you off, didn't he, uh, didn't he get drafted by the Mets? I believe he did I get drafted. He did. Yeah, I and, think he did. I think yeah. he was an outfielder. And, you know, he talked about, like, growing up, look, he, he was a middle infielder, and, you know, he – you're talking about turning that double play and getting the ball out of your hand like as quickly as possible. Yeah, he was drafted in the 36th round by the Mets in 2015. Um, that's incredible. So, yeah, I mean, you're talking about a guy that's obviously an athlete, athletic background. But, you know, I think when you watch Anthony Gordon, what really sort of stands out to me is, you know, the ability to sort of work that full field progression. And, you know, the Mike Leach, the air raid system, it obviously, you know, gets a lot of criticism. A lot of people think, that, look, you know, it's a simplified offense. There aren't that many plays in Mike Leach's playbook. So, you know, they're not asked to do a lot. But, you know, I think if you look back through some recent air raid quarterbacks, I mean, obviously Patrick Mahomes is the most recent example of a guy that's really blown up. But even last year with Anthony Gordon, you know, they're asked to do a lot in these systems. You know, at the senior bowl last year, Gardner Minshew looked me in the eye and he said, look, man, you know, Mike Leach's offense, the air raid offense, will run in full field, you know, four or five progression reads on every play. And the guys in those quote, pro-style offenses, they're not doing that. You know, and Gordon said basically the same thing to me. I asked him what his favorite play to run was. He said, look, it's that wide cross because every single play I'm going four progressions deep. I'm going that vertical route to the cross, to the, you know, to the dig, to the curl on the backside. You know, not a lot of other quarterbacks are doing stuff like that. And so they're asked to do progression stuff that you're going to ask, be asked to do in the NFL. And if you watch, say, a Jordan Love or if you watch a Justin Herbert or a Jacob Eason or, you know, even – to a certain extent the Tua Tonga Vailoa, they're running like one and two reads on a play. And so the yeah. mental aspect of the position, these guys have it figured out. Gordon has the arm talent bags, like you mentioned. You know, the one thing with him is a lot of people want to force the Gardner-Minshew comparison, obviously, because Minshew came out of Leach's system and had some success last year with Jacksonville. Minshew's footwork was so much more advanced than Gordon's right now. Minshew is very fluid with his feet in the pocket. Anytime he's working through reads, you know, you see the feet stand underneath him. So if he's running that wide cross, you see the feet to the left, to the middle of the field, to the right, to the right boundary, always in a position to throw. Gordon's different. He's very statuesque in the pocket. He doesn't keep his feet fluid underneath him. And so that's sort of created some situations where he's forced to make these off-platform throws when he doesn't actually need to. That's something he's working on with Sage Rosenfels, who's trying to get him you know, coached up and fixed the footwork. But if he's on the board at some point in day three, barring some sort of Brady-related disaster where they really need to get a quarterback sooner in the draft or do something crazy, I'm I'm all for New England drafting this kid because, you know, I think he's somebody that has the mental part of the position. And in today's NFL, when you need to make off-platform throws, it's not so much a nice thing to have as much as it is as a necessity. So I like that too. So the arm talent, the mental side, the the, the – off-platform stuff that he can do, and the fact that I think he's got a nice high ceiling, I'm all for it. Yeah, me too. I th- that was one of my concerns about him, was just the footwork and it, it, kind of this pocket awareness. You know, those guys get a little – they don't work under center. You hear that a lot. But I think this kid's got a special arm. And with the way the NFL is trending right now, it, it, you're right. If he's there in day three, like you said, with any sort of Brady disaster and they might have to take a quarterback earlier, this guy's available. I'm all for it. 
Yeah, and you know, a, a lot of people sort of harp on the oh, he never took a snap from a center, but the NFL is trending that way anyway. And you know, Absolutely. a lot of what teams are doing comes out of the gun. You know, when you can learn it, like the biggest thing in the adjustment to life when you have to operate under center is the viewpoint. You know, it's why Peyton Manning, for example, wanted to be in the shotgun. You know, when you think back to his time in Denver and they had this sort of, you know, they had that little, they came to an agreement that compromised that he would run out of the pistol because Kubiak wanted them under center. It's because, you know, you have that vantage point where you can actually see the secondary better. So you can pick up on your pre-snap cues better than if you're stuck under center. You know, so that's something you have to get used to. But the physical act of lining up under center and taking snaps, like, you know, it's not this, like, impossible thing to figure out for a quarterback. Absolutely. All right, guys, who's who's next on your list? Next, this is an interesting guy, and I'm interested to hear your take on this, uh, Mark, because – People seem to either love or hate his game. Uh, Jake Fromm out of Georgia, 6'2", 225, obviously beat out two five-star recruits, Jacob Eason. Justin Fields had a great career at Georgia. I mean, all he really did was win, obviously, as a freshman, played in the national championship game. Um, smart. He's a leader. He's coachable. He's a winner. He's easy to root for, right? Um, I think he's got above-average accuracy. I think, you know, obviously there's not a lot of zip on his ball. He can make, you know, the smart throws, makes the right throws. But – can it translate to the NFL? And that's kind of where I wanted to kind of take this conversation and ask you about it because I wasn't overly impressed with his combine. You know, he didn't really stand out to me. But I think it's a kid who, if he's if he's in the right system, I think he can work because, like I said, he's coachable. He's a leader. He's smart. He'll make the right throws. But he doesn't have a lot to his game that can really translate to the NFL level. Yeah, I think you pretty much summed him up really well there, Spags, because – I think he's one of the quarterbacks in this class that is very scheme dependent. I think if Absolutely. he lands there, there are three teams that I sort of have in mind where he could go and if he's forced to play early, could be successful. I think in one situation, if it's not just if he's forced to play early, I think he could start next year and be better than the current starting quarterback. And so I look at Chicago. And I think that is a system where Jake Fromm could step right in, run Matt Nagy's offense, make much quicker and much better decisions than Mitchell Trubisky is making. That's, you know, a sort of West Coast blended offense where it's not a lot of vertical stuff. So the arm strength, it wouldn't be an issue in that offense because most of their shot plays downfield are scheme shot plays where you can put a little more touch on it. You're not really forcing throws into tight windows. I think you could step in and run Chicago's offense and be successful on day one. I think Tennessee is an interesting team to think about. If they do decide to bring back Tannehill, whether they tag him, whether they work out a long-term deal, but they want to sort of hedge on a guy to potentially step in if he falters, I think you could run their offense because you look at what he was doing at Georgia. A lot of under center stuff, a lot of play action. We do back to the defense. And if they franchise tag Derrick Henry, they're going to be running the ball anyway. I think that would work. And I do look at New England. And I think where he would fit in with New England's offense extremely well is the mental side of it. Because, you you know, you sort of yep. touched on it. You know, he, he's, he was asked to do a lot at the line of scrimmage, you know, as a freshman. You know, you see him out there changing protections, making calls at the line of scrimmage. Not a lot of freshmen are doing stuff like that. Not a lot of seniors are doing stuff like that. But he's doing it. You know, I think, you know, when you think about what he did at the Combine, the stuff we were able to see – was where he was going to be at his worst because he's not an overly athletic kid and he doesn't have the power or arm. So when he's out there during his throwing session, see the ball dip a little bit, you don't see the velocity and you think, what are we doing here? But I guarantee you guys, when he sat down in a hotel suite 
or in a meeting room and either got on the whiteboard or talked to coaches and scouts and general managers or whomever about what he was doing at Georgia, he crushed it. I guarantee you he was on the whiteboard drawing stuff up, like just saying, look, this is what I was asked to do. These are the three different ways we ran our version of, you know, four verts out of three by one and all the different reads and stuff. I'm sure he was impressive during those parts of the combine. And so the stuff we didn't get to see, that's the stuff where he was at his best. And so I guarantee that there's at least one NFL team out there that's going to love this kid. And, you know, he's a coachable kid, like you said. You see him down there. He's working with the guys at QB Country down in Mobile. Um, he, he stopped by the Senior Bowl with Jim Nagy and went over some fill with him. Nagy's been raving about him. Would have loved to have had him on the Senior Bowl, I'm sure. And so, I, you know, I do believe that Fromm's going to find an NFL home. And if you look at this group of quarterbacks, outside of, say, you know, Tua, if the hip checks out, at Burrow, I'm hard-pressed to find a guy that has a nicer floor. Now, he might not have the ceiling of some of these guys, like a Jordan Love or a Justin Herbert or an Eason or some of these other guys, but he's got a better floor than them. And at worst case, he's like your long-term backup spot starter, which in today's NFL, you need a guy like that because you're a rolled ankle or a twisted knee away from having to go to that guy. And so I think the league will like him. I think at least one or more teams like him. I think he's going to go earlier than people on draft Twitter and elsewhere think he goes. And if he ends up, you know, he's a guy that, you know, if they don't have to go, again, if they don't have to go quarterback early, but he's available, I think he might be a potential upgrade on Stidham. And so if it's a situation where he slides a bit and it's like early day three, yeah, I'm okay with that too. One quick note on Jake Fromm. For those of you Twitter people out there, at Jake Fromm, State Fromm. I mean, it's pretty good. Yeah. It's not bad. It's pretty good. <laughs> it, it's a That's not great, game. but it's it's pretty I, good. I think he's already in a commercial with them. He was doing a commercial with them at the combine or something, which is kind of funny. Yeah. He's probably been waiting to do that, so he's been cleared to do it by the NCAA. Yeah. So. I'm sure. You know, the NCAA is going to be all over him if he does anything wrong. Yeah, no kidding, man. <laughs> um, so the last guy I want to talk about, and you mentioned him a little bit, Justin Herbert. Um, I know I, I forget who, and I, and I apologize for that, had put out a mock draft. I think this week and had him to the Patriots at 23. I don't think he even comes close to falling from there just because some teams early in the draft are super, are super QB needy, you know, like Carolina. And, and you really just never know where, how it's going to pan out. But I really like this kid. He's got great size. He's got a pro ready frame, um, operates very well pre-snap, um, struggled a little bit in 2018, I think with, with pressure and making the right reads, which is kind of why I think he stayed. Um, but like I said, I, I think this kid's got an unbelievable arm talent. He's super long. He ran a four six eight at the combine. Athletic guy. I think this is a guy who, you know, like another guy in the right scheme, in the right fit. He could be a really good. He's got a high ceiling. I think it might take him a little while to get going and get used to that pro, pro, you know, the NFL level. But um, I think I'm really high on this kid. I've always liked him since Oregon, since watching him his sophomore year. I'm interested to hear about what you think about Herbert. Yeah, I like Herbert, too. I mean, you have to sort of start with the arm talent. I mean, the guy is a kid. Absolutely. I mean, I think back to one of my favorite throws of, you know, putting Burrow aside because what he did this year was just, you know, incredible. But one of my favorite throws from any of these prospects was a throw he had against Cal last year where it was before halftime. And he basically threw on a switch verticals concept to the left sideline, a back shoulder, 45 yards downfield, right hash mark to left sideline, so you know it's longer than 45, but he throws it on an absolute line. I mean, just a cannon shot, and that showed me, that because he saw the 
defender sort of switching the man coverage concept. So he knew that the defender was playing with inside leverage. So he throws a back shoulder, figures that out on the fly. I was really impressed with a lot of the throws he made both last year and this season. You know, I think the sort of Warshak test game for him is that Arizona State game, a game where, you know, Oregon had national championship hopes and they go down to Tempe and lose to Herm Edwards. It was a huge upset. Uh, but he had a touchdown drive that he led at some point when they got down in that game and it was like four plays and he did a bunch of NFL stuff on those four throws. The Oregon offense, I think, made it difficult to evaluate him because there were so many, Definitely. you know, tunnel screens and smoke screens and bubbles and a lot of design throws, which is why the Senior Bowl was huge form in two respects. One was he's a quiet guy. You know, he's, he's, it came out of the combine that somebody gave him that book, you know, leadership for introverts. You know, people have talked about when they would go to Oregon and they would go to the locker room and everybody else is getting fired up or getting amped for a game or whatever. And he's in the corner side of kind of by himself, you know, people sort of wonder about, is he going to be able to step into an NFL huddle with grown men and look them in the eye and take on that leadership role. And, you know, he told us at Mobile, he told us at the, at the Senior Bowl as well as out in Indy, and sometimes he's working on. So people had questions about that, and people had questions about, you know, the offense he was running at Oregon, which is why at the Senior Bowl, you saw him take on that leadership role. He's one of those guys that, similar to Baker Mayfield a couple of years ago, even, you know, Daniel Jones last year, that you could see guys were gravitating to. They were taking that leadership role on. And then he was running more of an NFL-style offense with Cincinnati and Zach Taylor with, you know, some space and concepts, some stuff in the middle of the field. You saw him attack between the hash marks. It was good to see that from him. So I doubt he falls to 23. I mean, yeah. you look at, you know, the top of this draft with obviously Cincinnati and Miami and who knows, maybe Detroit, um, the Chargers, the the Panthers at seven. Who knows what's going the Raiders, on there? Moves Raiders, too. Can, yeah, in fact, you get to that, that 12, 13, 14 gauntlet where you've got the Raiders, the Colts, and the Bucks. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I really think there's a situation where we could see all five of the top five guys off the board at 14. Now, obviously, there are free agent dominoes to fall, and Brady being the biggest one of them. So things could change. But if it is a situation where all those teams are looking at quarterback, I'd be stunned if he falls. But if all those teams either, you know, sit pat or, you know, sign some guys, it's theoretical he could fall to 23. And that's a situation where even if Brady's back, I'm okay with taking him at 23 because yeah. it's a situation where you know Brady's not going to be there that much longer if he comes back. He'd be an upgrade, I think, over Stidham, I mean, he wouldn't have to play right away. And then the you talent have five and the years of control. Pass up. You have five years right. of control. Yeah, I, I, that's a great point there too, Pat. So, yeah, I would be – if he's there at 23, yeah, I'm on board. I, I love, just, Yeah, like I really like him. I, I think, like you said, you, may, you, you noted earlier, I think – the biggest thing was his leadership, and you saw him answer a bunch of questions at the Combine regarding that. I just think he's a quiet kid. I mean, he's an Oregon kid. He you know, grew up there, went to school there, um, but more of a lead-by-example type of guy. And I think that yeah. can, you know, not, not everybody has to be that, you know, rah-rah type of leader. And I think he, he's got the tools and, and su- a super high ceiling for somebody that, you know, given the time and, and you, you're patient with him, I think he can be a really good player at the NFL level. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, you know, there's a tendency to scout by helmet, and I I can, you know, I don't want to put words into people's mouths, but you can almost feel that, you know, people are looking at how Marcus Mariota was and how he was also a kind of introvert-type guy, wasn't that rah-rah, fiery type, and they saw how his career sort of flamed out a little bit in Tennessee, at least, and they might be thinking, oh, you know, it's going to be another Mariota situation where – He's not going to be able to step into a huddle and take command. But 
I think there are two different players. Obviously, there's two different skill sets. Mariota was banned up with the injury history. I don't think you're going to get that with Herbert because, like you said, you know, NFL frame, athletic as well, um, moves really well. You had some issues with pressure. You look at his PFF numbers, and they're not great when he's facing pressure, but I do think part of that was the Oregon offense itself. And so, again, if he's on the board at 23, Patriots should be giving it serious consideration. Uh, full disclosure, I am one of those people. I just uh, – I see – and not necessarily Marcus Mariota. I just see – I see Oregon, and it scares the crap out of me. It, it scares yeah, me no, because I, I see I get it. Joey I Harrington mean, and Marcus Mariota and Achilles Smith and all these guys that were yeah. taken high in the draft, and it scares me. And you're right. He's a different guy than that, and I think that you know he's a better prospect than those guys, but but that scares – that just – it, irrationally, it just scares that, me, you know? Yeah, and I totally get it. I think in a sense, you know, part of it is, you know, if Justin Herbert was coming out when, say, Joey Harrington was coming out, I think he'd have right. a much tougher time. I think the evolution of the game and the concepts that people are comfortable running in the NFL have sort of trended into the direction of a guy can come out with that offensive schematic background and still be successful because so many of the concepts he's been running in college have moved their way up to the National Football League. But yeah, if this was, you know, 15 years ago, I think it's a much different story. And, you know, it's hard when you've got guys like Akili Smith and got guys like Joey Harrington that certainly had promise, but they were sort of hamstrung by the fact that the coaches back then, it was the whole, you know, square peg round hole kind of situation where they're not going to change what they're doing for these guys. Now the league has sort of come to the point where you've got to get these rookie quarterbacks on the field. You know, you take advantage of that rookie deal. And so if you're going to play them early, let them run the stuff they're comfortable with until they're ready to do other stuff. Yeah, no, exactly. It's a good point. So, all right, so Spags, we did it a little a little differently. Spags had to had to run, so uh, so it's just me and Mark now. So I'm going to go over my three guys, and we'll talk about those three guys. Uh, so my first one is James Morgan. He is from Florida International, six four two fifteen, developmental guy, hundred percent, absolutely developmental guy. Doesn't have um, a great arm, but what he does have is great pocket awareness. Right, he's not a great athlete, but he's shifty in the pocket. Sounds a lot like a guy that I know who doesn't have great arm strength, but has you know pretty good, pretty good accuracy, short to mid, makes pretty good decisions, can see the whole field, isn't a super athlete, but is great moving around in the pocket and avoiding pressure. Will absolutely take a take a shot right to the face to get the right throw out. Um, and so you know I like him. He's as I said, late round guy to possibly even an undrafted guy. But I think that, you know, developmental, the Patriots going developmental side, I think he's an interesting, an interesting prospect. Oh, certainly. And, you know, I think one of the things that sort of stands out about him when you watch him on film and, you know, I did a piece, you know, before the combine, you know, talking about all these other quarterbacks, all 17 of them, the most important place in Indianapolis for each of them. For him, you know, as much as I'm not like a whole velocity, ball velocity guy, I think the radar gun was kind of important because I, f- I have a feeling when that number comes out, he's going to post a pretty in- pretty impressive number on the board because you do see the ball sort of pop out of his hand at times. You know, like you said, he has that pocket toughness. And it's hard, you know, as a Patriots guy, when you see those quarterbacks that, yeah, they're not super athletic, but they have good feel for the pocket. They move around with their feet pretty well. They can use their feet not to escape or create with their legs so much as to just sort of generate enough space to get the ball out of their hands. 
it's hard not to sort of say, hey, you know who else does that well? A guy up in New yeah. England wearing number 12, because then people think, oh, you're calling this kid from Florida, you know, FIU, the next Tom Brady. It's like, no, we're not going there, but we're saying that there are guys that need to have that if they're going to be amount to something in the National Football League. I mean, you can look at yeah. a Joe Burrow. He's athletic-ish, but nobody's you know confusing him with Lamar Jackson. Nobody's confusing him with even Jalen Hurts, but he has enough toughness in the pocket and footwork, which is why people have said, you know, hey, kind of yeah. reminds us of Tom Brady, and even Burrow has sort of shut that down. And so, but that's the path that some of these quarterbacks have to take, and Morgan's in that realm. You know, he's certainly a guy that I know, for example, Kyle Krabs over at the Draft Network, you know, got a chance to talk to him out in Indy. He's a guy that sort of thinks, yeah, if you're looking at that sort of day three developmental tier, like I know Morgan's at the top of his list. You know, he has the arm talent, has the pocket toughness, you know, has some things mm-hmm. that he needs to clean up mechanically, I think, but it's not right. a fatal flaw. It's sort of, you know, what he does with his upper body, nothing sort of fatal about his throwing motion or anything like that. And so, you know, a lot of this, you know, Pat, it's so interesting when we're trying to do these shows um, right now about the Patriots and, you know, whether it's the quarterback situation or even just the draft. Right. We're yeah. all sort of in limbo because we're waiting on the top Brady domino. But so if I sound yes. like a broken record, I do apologize. But, but that's, that's, it, is is back, what it, is. it is what right. it is. If 12 is back, then sure. Yeah. Sometime in the sixth round or the fifth round, draft this kid. You know, I, I think this kid certainly has potential. And. You know who knows what he can, de- you know he, what he can develop into. I think he's got the potential to develop nicely. So, yeah, right. if if twelve is back, certainly. If twelve is not, well, then we've got bigger fish to fry. Yes, exactly. So, good point. So, all right. So the second guy uh, is Jacob Eason from Washington, six six two twenty five. Uh, just the elephant in the room. His father is Tony Eason, but it's not that Tony Eason. Okay, right. don't worry. It's not that Tony Eason, so we don't have to worry about bad history there or bad juju. Um, but we uh, might have to worry, Pat. We might have to worry about bad juju because his dad was a wide receiver at Notre Dame until he tore up his knee. Uh, so maybe there's a little bad juju there. Okay, all right. Uh, well, something, to, just something to file away. No, but not, no Patriots. No Patriots related. No, he's not juju. Tony Eason. You know, letting us all down at Super Bowl twenty when right. Right. Now, you know, little 10-year-old Mark is in front of the TV crying his eyes out. <laughs> but uh, so Eason has an absolute howitzer. He has a cannon for an arm. And that's that's his best trait, I think. Now, the problem with that is that he, as guys with an arm like that, sometimes tend to do is that he trusts it too much sometimes. So he tries to fit balls into places that he probably shouldn't fit balls into. And sometimes he's successful and sometimes he isn't because he isn't sometimes. And so, you know, that's the way it works. I think sometimes his footworks and mechanics take a hit because he doesn't need to think about it as much because he has the strong arm. Uh, He is, I think, you know, kind of above the curve when it comes to play action. And one thing that I noticed about him is that I feel like he's good at throwing to a spot as opposed to throwing to a guy which is something that Brady excels at. And the Patriots offense is, you know, is predicated on, you know, hitting a spot and not necessarily hitting a guy. And I think that he's pretty good at that. And so, you know, now I don't know where he's going to be available. I don't know if I'm comfortable with him at 23, but I don't know if you can really wait much longer to take him if you're interested in this guy. And so, uh, you know, definitely an interesting prospect, but I'm not sure if he's going to fit into where the Patriots want to take a guy. Yeah. I mean, 
I think what's interesting about Eason is you see the massive arm, and like you said, just an absolute cannon. And people automatically think Bruce Arians, right? They think, oh, Tampa Bay at 14. Right. If they move on from Javis Winston, you know, that's an ideal situation. Maybe they sign a Phillip Rivers as a sort of a bridge to Eason. But when you were describing him there, you were talking about a guy that has confidence in his arm, so sometimes he's willing to test windows that maybe he shouldn't and force throws into traffic that maybe he shouldn't. I didn't know if you were talking about Jacob Eason or Jameis Winston. I mean, he almost sounds like <laughs> the same exact guy. And so you yeah. do wonder if Aries is going to, like, move on from Winston and sort of double down on a guy with a, a similar sort of mental, you know, how he views and approaches playing the quarterback position. What's interesting with Eason you know, and you were talking about it there, Pat, you nailed it with the guy that's willing to sort of, you know, challenge some windows and throw it to spots and throw guys open and things like that. What's been fascinating about studying this class is there are guys like, you know, the Herberts and the Loves that will throw between the hash marks from time to time, but not a ton. Easton's not afraid at all of challenging the middle of the field. You know, he's not afraid at all at, you know, working up the seams. And, you know, when you look at heat maps of, where passes are completed in the National Football League. Most of them obviously are completed, you know, five or eight mm-hmm. yards past the line of scrimmage. But any time you get downfield, the hottest area is right up the seams because you get so mm-hmm. much single high coverage where that's the area of the, either it's zone cover three or man high, you know, man free cover one. That's the area you've got to attack. He's more willing to attack that area on a consistent basis. Now, it might not always be successful, but he's at least willing to do it. So I think you give him credit for that. And so I think he's somebody that when it comes to adjusting to life in the NFL, he's got that sort of aggressive mentality where he's going to be willing to attack the windows that some of these other guys might shy away from initially, which is going to ease his transition. Now, in terms of draft value, it's a tougher thing. It's not as clear cut as, say, when we were talking about Herbert, if he's there at 23, yeah, I think he'd do it. You know, with Easton, there are some sort of question marks. You know, with the arm, number one and two, the sort of fit in New England's offense, you know, I I don't know if it's the ideal offensive situation for him, but you do see more of him doing the play action under center, back to the defense stuff, and you see some of the other guys, you factor in the arm, you factor in the size, you factor in the mobility. I would understand if they decided he's there at 23, we're going to take advantage of the the value here, and we're going to, you know, take a shot with this kid. You know, he's not my favorite of the group. You know, the guys we've talked about, you know, he's probably, in terms of a fit in New England, he's sort of on a Fromm tier. It's like I'd say Herbert, I'd be fine with him. Then, you know, Easton and Fromm are probably in that same sort of group. Um, right. But I think you'd have to draft him at 23 because, you, you know, right now New England doesn't have a second-round pick anyway. You're not going to get him in the third round. Like, you know, he's somebody that if he's there at 23, that's your shot to draft him. So I would understand that if – he was there at 23 and they did pull the trigger. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. So, um, I like, you know, it's interesting because I'm kind of in that same boat. Like, I just don't know if I want him, but like, I mean, in the third round, sure. But like at 23, as like, you're as like the next guy, I I just, I don't know how much I love that, but you know, it's, you're not going to get him in the third round. So then it's like, well, then do you, you know, do you, do you go up and take him at 23? So I think it's, it's, it's interesting to say the least. So we'll see what happens, but that arm is just, it's nice. So, you know, yeah, I mean, it's a cannon. It's an absolute cannon. I mean, and yeah. you know, he's throwing session in Indy. It got off to a rocky start, but man, once they started the deeper stuff downfield, it was like, 
all right, th- this could work in the National Football League. And I, I right. can't believe, unless I missed it, I can't believe they never camera on Bruce Arians during that. <laughs> so, all right. So last guy um, is probably my favorite guy. It, it's tough. So it's Jalen Hurts from Ohio State, 6'1", 215. I, I just freaking love this guy, man. I just love him. And, and part of the love for me comes from Alabama and comes from the fact that, you know, he gets replaced by Tua and they win the national championship. And instead of being bitter about it, and instead of being, you know, worried that he lost a starting job to a freshman, he is, you know, his biggest supporter and is in the, you know, is in the room and mentoring him as much as he possibly can. And then of course he transfers to Ohio state and does great at Ohio state this year. And, you know, and look, I, I think for, for the Patriots, as far as a system fit is concerned, I, I don't know. I don't know if he's that good of a fit. I don't know how good his quick decision making is. I don't know how great his accuracy is. Um, but he's got great athleticism. I mean, I think he ran. What did he run? Like a like a four six or something like that at the combine. I think it was so like he's a got four some, five six or something. Yeah. Yeah. So he's got. He's definitely got some speed. I think it was. I pulled it up earlier. Four five nine. So yeah. So he's got. Okay. You know, four five nine, a, a ten foot broad jump, ten and a half foot broad jump. So like thirty five inch vert. Like he's got great athleticism. You know, he's not Lamar Jackson athleticism, but he's got great right. athleticism. Um, you know, and, and again, the intangibles for me are off the charts. Like it, it, that's the type of guy I want as my quarterback, who obviously wants to start and will start if you know will leave if he has to start. But in the meantime, and I, I think it goes back to me, with, you know, with Bloodso. And, you know, in 2001, and I look back at, you know, at, at what happened in that situation. Bledsoe was just on the 10-year contract and was the guy. And then he could have tanked that whole season. You know, he could have because he came back healthy and wanted to play. And, you know, Belichick said, no, Brady's the, the starter. And he could have – that that entire, you know, uh, locker room was – were all Bledsoe guys. And he could have pulled those guys back to his side and tanked that whole season. And instead – he was in Brady's corner and he was supporting Brady and yeah, he wasn't happy about it, but he was doing it because he knew it was the right thing for the team. And, you know, while publicly, uh, while privately, I'm sure it was incredibly difficult publicly. He was, you know, supporting him in the locker room and, and talking well about Brady and, you know, and, and mentoring him as much as he could. And so that's what I love about Jalen hurts. And again, I don't know system wise, if he's like quarterback wise, if he could actually fit here, and I'm certainly not taking him at 23, but like if he, if this is a guy that could drop to like the third round or something like that, and we could get him in the third, fourth round, like I, I'd love it. I, I just love it just on the, just on the way he is as a football player. Yeah. I, I, I think you nailed it there, Pat, because, you know, similar to from, you know, I, I was expected that Hertz was going to have a good weekend in because of what he would do in those media rooms, because I'm sure when he talked about his story and losing his gig at Alabama, and then, you know, going to Oklahoma and, you know, taking on a leadership role there and leading that team to the playoff, you know, people would look at how he handled that entire situation and think this is a man of character. Like this is somebody that regardless of how you might feel about him as an athlete or as a football player. Like this is somebody that's going to make your team better regardless of if he's on the field or not. And those type of players have a tendency to sort of stick in the national football league. So I figured he was going to crush it, but then you see him on the whiteboard with Steve Mariucci and he's breaking stuff down and he's going through concepts and he's crushing it there too. And then you see his throwing session 
And one of the huge question marks I had with him when I was studying him on film, you know, both while he was at Alabama and then, you know, this past season was, you know, the long loop and throw in motion. It's an elongated delivery. You're getting the Sam Darnold vibes. He's got it cleaned up. It's a much tighter delivery. He's making throws on time and in rhythm. He had an out route along the left side run to Isaiah Hodges, for example, and, you know, just drilled it in there and he looked perfect doing it. And he had a really good combine. And, you know, he's somebody now that you're hearing some sort of early day two buzz on. I still think that he probably slips into later into day two. But I think that as a quarterback with the ceiling that he has, as, you know, a football player with the leadership that he brings to the table, you know, I would love to see him in New England. Now, you know, you mentioned the fit, and I do think it's a bit tougher, you know, the fit, you know, the transition that he would have into New England's offense because when you watched him, even this past season in Oklahoma, there were too many times when his first instinct was in terms of a plan B, I'm just going to pull the ball down and sort of create, you know, whether through a scramble drill situation or run for the first down with my legs because he is an athletic guy. Although I was glad you said he's not like Lamar Jackson. There are two different quarterbacks here. But that tended to be his plan B rather than I'm going to come off this first read or the second read and work through the rest of my progressions. And, you know, the Lincoln Riley air raid offense, there are still progressions that he's able to work through, but he wasn't doing that consistently. So that's an area I think he could – work and develop and so there would be a steeper curve than like say some other offenses where I think you could step in and play early on but again not to harp on it but if 12 is back there's a window to develop a guy and I would be completely on board for drafting this kid and I think that you know he's shown the coachability right you know with the way he's already improved his mechanics Mm -hmm. and there's the Obviously, the video of him after they, I forget who they played, they had won, the game is over. He's still in the uniform just with the shoulder pads off, and he's in the weight room. He's doing power cleans, like after a game. Like, that tells you something about how driven he is. And as Patriots fans, like, we know, we've seen over the past 20 years what it takes to be great in the National Football League. You've seen Tom Brady do similar crazy things. And so, yeah, sometimes you need to have that little, we were talking about this, a group of, group of us were out to dinner in Indianapolis talking about, you know, what it takes to play quarterback in the National Football League. And the general agreement was you have to be a bit insane. You know, you have to yeah. be like maniacal to the point where you don't, it's not that you like winning, it's that you hate losing. You know, winning, whatever, you brush it off. But if you lose, it eats at you. It gnaws yeah. at you. It is the, the one thing that and people were talking about, again, people that cover different teams, people that were fans of different teams were just saying that's the greatness about Brady is that, you know, yeah, you know, winning's fun. He thinks it's great, whatever. But losing bothers him so much. It just destroys him. And he hates losing so much. And you could feel that same sort of thing in Jalen Hurts. Like when they were in Alabama, he just wanted the team to win. And so a player like that with the growth potential he has, yeah, I, I think he's trending upward. I understand it. But if, it, if they could find a way to get him onto New England's roster, I'm all for that too. Yeah. No, it's good. And so again, like I said, I, I, I love him. I'm on I'm on the bandwagon for sure. I think by the way I said Ohio State earlier. Clearly he went to Oklahoma from Alabama, but I think I said Ohio State earlier. So for anyone well, that heard it, that it, and was like, wait a second. It's a transfer market that like blows it confuses us all. Yeah. So 
So anyways, but, um, but yeah, you know, it's going to be interesting. And and this is really a situation where there's a lot of good young quarterbacks coming out. I think it's, I think it's fascinating because the, the young quarterbacks that you could get at 23 are good, but then there are also guys that you can take later that are good developmental players that you might take in the third to fifth round and even later that could still wind up being starters at some point. And so um, I think it's a deep class and I like that. And it, it bodes well for the Patriots. You know, I don't know if Stidham is the next guy. I think it seems like they think he might be, but even still, I'm still on board with taking another guy, even if they do feel like Stidham is the next guy, because you're going to need a backup quarterback, number one. And number two, what happens if that guy turns out to be better? Who the heck knows, you know? And so I'm okay right. taking a, you know, taking a developmental guy in the in the fourth, fifth round, even if you feel like Stidham is the successor, you know, whether Brady comes back this year or not is irrelevant to me, at least, because I think that, you know, that Stidham should be the starter unless Herbert drops a 23 and he's your number one quarterback on the board. And you're like, well, let's do it. I mean, that's a no-brainer, you know? So, right. um, but yeah, yeah it's going to be, always gonna be interesting. I'm always of the mind that you should always be looking to improve your quarterback room. I mean, because, you know, you do this exercise, you know, Dan Hatman, who I've known for a while now, former NFL scout, won a Super Bowl ring with the New York Giants, which he's always excited to show me in person whenever we, you know, whether it's Mobile or the Combine or whatever, he always flashes it in front of me. <laughs> but he had me do this exercise when I did the scouting academy. He's like, take – you know, rank your, you know, your, your starting 11 on both sides of the ball. So you've got 22 players, rank them in terms of importance. And then where do you fit in backup quarterback? You know, backup quarterback is an important role on a team because again, that guy goes down, things change in a hurry. And so teams should always be looking to improve that backup quarterback spot. And even in the situation like you laid out there where 12 comes back, that doesn't mean you can't draft another quarterback to see what you've got in that other guy. Because right. we've all heard good things about Jared Stidham now. Who knows? I mean, develop, it's not linear. Maybe he has a down year or two. Maybe it doesn't come together for him the way we're hoping. Then what? So, yeah, right. I mean, there, there's nothing wrong with drafting another quarterback, even if it turns out the guy ends up just being a camp arm for you and he's a, a casualty at cut time. You know, when you're talking about the Absolutely. fourth or fifth round or so, what, what's the hit rate on those picks anyway? 100%. Yep. No, I agree. I agree 100%. Especially, you know, and I think for, for the Patriots, especially in the situation that they're in, you know, where you're in this transition phase, whether it's going to be Brady or whether it's going to be someone else starting this year, you know, you're in a transition phase anyways. There's changes coming at some point soon, no matter what yeah. you do. And so, yep. you know, it makes sense to say, all right, you know, let, let's, let's move things around. So, um, anyways, but that's, look, I, I mean, we could talk quarterbacks all day and I think, uh, I think we've, we've done a good job of it. And like, you know, like we said at the top, I mean, we're talking quarterbacks, so we had to have you on cause you're the, you know, the quarterback guru. And so, uh, ah, you know, you're too kind. And so we you're were, too kind. we were happy to do it Well, you are. I mean, that's the way I look at it. So, um, but, uh, but that's it for the prospects. What we're going to do though, is we are going to talk about uh this bracket that we've released um so it is a for those of you that haven't seen it yet somehow maybe you're living in a rock or, or who knows what um it it did it got some it generated now we're recording this on wednesday a little peek behind the curtain we released it on wednesday 
got a little buzz on Twitter today, which was cool. A lot of people responding to it. A lot of people quote tweeting it with, you know, guys that they, that they uh, went back and forth with and, and whatnot, but it is the biggest bust of the Belichick era. A lot of bees there. Um, and man, there are some doozies on this list. Yeah. First of all, Pat, this was such an awesome idea. Um, it's the, 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 yeah, you know, we always talk about, you know, Belichick, the general manager versus Belichick, the head coach. And, you know, I'm sure for any team, you could put together something like this. Um, yeah. Maybe not as deep as this, because if you don't have the success on the field, you're going to be out of a job. And so you won't get a chance to have as many mistakes as Belichick may have made right. along the way. But you're talking about a good 20 plus years where, yeah, you put together any team sort of, you know, free agent signings and draft picks over 20 years, like you're going to be able to put together a bracket. I mean, there are so many names that stand out. I mean, you know, some of the quote one seeds with a Chad Jackson or Dominique Easley, Ross Knight Dowling, uh, Duke Dawson, like, yeah, those certainly jump out at you. Um, everybody's favorite sort of Patriot punching bag, Jordan Richards, like that sort of sticks there as well. A daily oh, yeah. Thomas though is one that I keep coming back to. I mean, because that was like one of the first times that Belichick was like, look, we're going to really spend on a guy on the defensive side of the ball. And I remember when they signed him, I was overjoyed. I'm like, man, you know, he's, he's going to come in. He's just going to wreck worlds for this defense. And it just never came together. And I don't know if it was a situation where, you know, I'm sure if I read about it a little bit more, I'd jog my memory. But if he was allowed to freelance a little bit more down in Baltimore and just didn't piece it together while he was here, yeah. maybe similar to the Jamie Collins situation, you know, when he was in New England for the first time. And so, you know, that's one where I'm like, yeah, Delius Thomas, man, that was a, that was a big miss. But there are so many great names on this list. It's hard to really pick out one. Those one seeds, though, are very good, I think. It's rough. I mean, that, and the Thomas one is interesting. So when I was talking with, because I was on with Brian and and Ryan when we introduced this, and, um, you know, the Thomas one to me is interesting because I feel like although he played very well in 07, he wasn't great, but he was good. He was, he had a very good year. He had that one pick six against San Diego. And I remember that was oh in New my. England. And of course I have season tickets. Yeah. And I was like, Oh my God. Like he was the fastest guy in the field. picked it off and just outran everyone for a touchdown. And I was like, wow. And then he didn't really have that many flashy plays after that. And he was fine. He was good. And he had a, he had a decent year in 07 as well. And then he almost tanked the entire franchise in 09 with Zatitude. And then, you know, you had the, the snow day where like, you know, him and right. Randy Moss showed up late and he's like, you got to talk to Bill about that and all this other stuff. And it's like, whoa, like, what are we doing? And that's, you know, we haven't had anyone with a bad attitude like that in a long time. I, I think he might be the only guy that had that bad of an attitude in the entire tenure of Belichick here. And so, uh, yeah. you know, and, and to me, and I think, you know, Basically, you look at the bracket and people, you know, it's funny because people on Twitter are like, oh, Taylor Price and, you know, and um, and Josh Boyce and, you know, a few other guys and this and that. And I said, look, it's only first and second round picks because to me, a bust, a true bust is someone who you had high aspirations for. Taylor Price, a third round pick, like, okay, you expect something from him, but you don't expect him to be a number one wide receiver. Yeah, you're hoping he can right. be a two or three. But he's not he's not a number one wide receiver. You draft Chad Jackson, you trade up in the second round to get Chad Jackson. You want Chad Jackson to be a starting wide receiver for you, a one or a two, hundred percent, maybe even right out the gate as a rookie. And that just never happened. And so, you know, with all these guys, I mean, they trade up for Duke Dawson, who was 
you know, by by most accounts, the premier slot corner coming out of college uh, to, you know, a few years, 2018, whatever year he got drafted. And he just, he was terrible. Never even played a game for the Patriots. And so, you know, that's that's part of the part of the stuff there. I mean, Duke Dawson, to me, gets extra credit because he's the only player in the Belichick time, in the Belichick time, you know, since the time he's been here, the Belichick era, that didn't make it into his second season as a first or second round pick. He's the only guy, yeah. which is crazy, and I, and, you know, and so it, it's almost, just wild. It's almost evidence that after all this time, they're finally learning. I mean, you know, we've seen it with free with veterans, with free agents, when they're like, look, this isn't working. They'll move on quickly. Right. It seems like other times they've tried to give, whether it's, you know, uh, Ross Idol or some of these other guys that they draft, like as many, you know, Jordan Richards or Cyrus Jones, other examples where they try to run these guys out because they're like, look, we want to make sure we get it right. Like, we want to get some value out of this. With Dawson, they were just like, look, we're just walking away now. They treated him like he was a, like a veteran move where they were just like, it's not working out. You're on your own, dude. See ya. Like, they learned yeah. their lesson from some of the other mistakes. So, I mean, I think he gets extra points in that regard as well because it's like he was the guy that like finally broke them. They were like, you know, we're going to keep running these guys out there. We're going to keep running these guys out there. Duke Dawson, you're just on your way out of town, dude. We're done. Right. Right. And they basically, you know, they just gave up on him. I mean, they got a seventh, they got a sixth yeah. round pick technically back, but they gave up a seventh and Duke Dawson. So like, you know, yeah. they were just cutting their losses at that point. So, yep. you know, it's, it, it's, it's interesting when you go around and, and Richards is an interesting one because, because of Super Bowl 52. Right. And, yeah. and look, I, I don't blame it's hard because he's a guy that I have a hard time blaming him. He's just bad at football. Like they just, they just completely yeah. whiffed on that pick. And he just, he's not, he's not a safety. He's a special teams guy. And look, I think he's a pretty good special teams guy, but that's all he is. He shouldn't be playing defense. And so if you take a guy like that, where he should have been taken in the fourth or fifth round, you're okay with him being just a special teams right. guy. But in the second round, you're like, Right. And two, and yeah. he looked horrendous and he got burned all over the field. And you're just like, my God, you know, the bad memories that come up with some of these guys. And, you know, and, and you can start tracing things back. And it's funny because I almost, I look back to like, um, you know, red, the, the situation the Red Sox are in right now, right? I think the, the right. Red Sox are in the situation they're in right now because they didn't sign John Lester. If they signed John Lester all those years ago, they don't have to overextend for David Price and they don't have to go out and sign, you know, Chris Sale or maybe Chris Sale is then their only big name free agent guy. And so then, you know, maybe they can keep Mookie Betts on because they have Lester at a, at a discounted rate and his contract, you know, so it's like this whole thing where this whole domino effect happens because they miss on that one guy, they blow that one move. And then it's like, you know, you can look at some of these same things with the Patriots. So it's like Chad Jackson. They draft him in 06. He's so terrible that they have to revamp the entire offense. They bring in Moss. They bring in Welker. They bring in all these other guys because Chad Jackson stunk so much that they just couldn't do anything with it. Now, of course, that turned out pretty good for the Patriots. Obviously, they ended up losing, but like, turned out pretty good for the Patriots, you know? But then you look at guys like a Davis Thomas, and it almost like scares them away from going out. And I mean, they didn't spend big in free agency again until Stephon Gilmore a few years ago. And so, like, that's. Yeah. Now you're looking at it saying, okay, are they are they shying away from doing those different things? And so, you know, it's interesting how some of that trickle down effect happens. I mean, A B is a perfect example of that. Like A B is a guy that 
what is their team like this year if Antonio Brown doesn't lose his mind? You know, I right. mean, do they do they make it to the Super Bowl? Maybe not, but do they make it to the AFC Championship game? Probably. You I know, like they get a buy. I mean, right? Yeah, I mean that's the sort of what if about this season, and you know, when, when people talk about you know, getting Tom Brady weapons and getting them some help. I mean, I certainly do agree that they still need to do that, but they did it last year. I mean, you look at, you know, you had Josh Gordon, you were hoping that he could put it all together. You go out and you get Antonio Brown. I mean, yeah, they sort of whiffed on the tight end part, but I remember that opening night game where they're, you know, handing a 30 burger on, Pittsburgh in the first half and Al Michaels and Chris Collins were sitting there saying, and they're going to get Antonio Brown back yeah. in a week. Like right. you're thinking, look, this offense is going to be out of this world. Now, obviously we saw what happened. Like right. AB loses his mind. Gordon, you know, he it's hurt the team and anymore. He, yeah, yeah. And the tight end position doesn't come together. And suddenly it's like you double team. Well, you know, you double team Julian Edelman, you put a cornerback on James White and where's Tom Brady going to go with the football? And so right. you're throwing at Jacoby Myers, who's a former quarterback, undrafted rookie free agent. Nikhil Harry's getting you know banished from the Tom Brady circle of trust because he doesn't fight <laughs> for the ball on a slant route. Like, right. It just turned bad fast. But you think back to how that season started. It's like, man, this offense is going to be – you know, I was going on shows, and people were saying, is this going to be like 2007 all over again? You know, people around the country are asking me like, are they going to, is this going to be a 16 and 0 team? And I'm trying to like pump the brakes there, but that's what we were back in September. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, so it it is crazy to think, to think where we are now, you know? So, uh, but I will say one of the, one of my favorite things about doing this bust bracket. And, and I think for, for me, look, people can talk about the winner all they want and the worst bust. And, you know, whether it's Chad Jackson or Duke Dawson or Razai Dowling or easily or, Thomas or Cyrus Jones or Antonio Brown, like whoever it is, or Jordan Richards, a lot of people were saying, like whoever it is that you think it should be. My favorite part about doing this was going back and looking at some of those lesser known guys, right? Some of the guys yeah. that you don't think about, like Tavon Wilson's and yeah. the, you know, the Doug Gabriel's and the Ron Brace, you know, rest in peace, and the Delta O'Neill's and the Sean Springs and the you know, and the Bethel Johnson and, you know, Mike Gillisley and Adrian Clem and Terrence Wheatley and those guys where you're like, whoa. And one of the guys, and I, I mentioned him the other night, is Jonathan Fanene. And and that one's so interesting because, you know, they, they give him a fairly big contract, three years, $12 million. And then, you know, it turns out he was lying to the Patriots about how he takes care of himself because he had arthritis right. in his knees and couldn't function without the use of prescription painkillers and they end up suing to, you know, they cut them and they end up suing to to get their um to get their uh, their bonus back and everything. It's like a whole thing. And it was just it's crazy. And you don't like a lot of people don't even remember that. And so yeah, that stuff that was fun for me to kind of go back and look, you know, Scott Chandler and Darius Butler, and it's like, oh right. my god, like the list goes and on and on. Weird, and it's weird. Like so many of these names where there were guys that were clearly done, like Reggie Wayne and Joey Galloway. Yeah. It's like Right. You knew they were done. You do want you you know you hear those stories about how Belichick was sometimes bring a veteran player in for a workout just right. to throw him a bone and create some buzz. And you just sort yeah. of wonder if this was a situation where they were just doing that. They were like, "Yeah, we'll sign him because if it doesn't work out here, you know maybe he'll get one more shot." But those guys yeah. clearly didn't have much left to say. Well, you know what's interesting, and and I was I was I didn't have Wayne on the original list, uh, and I got talked into it by. 
think it was Rich. I think it was Rich that talked me into yeah, it. it. And, I, and I agree with him at the end because he said they gave him a $450,000 signing bonus. It's not like they, yeah. it's not like there was no guaranteed money. They gave him half a million dollars guaranteed for him to come in. And he didn't even make it out of training camp, you know? And so um, that was an interesting case where, yeah, I didn't, I didn't include Wayne at the beginning. I think Galloway, to me, again, it's about expectations. I think people thought Galloway was going to come in and, and and at least be serviceable. And he was just, he was just, he was trash. And so that's, yeah. you know, and again, he's an eight seed. And I think Fred Taylor is an eight seed too. And, and the reason why to me is because he was here two years and he did nothing for two years. And yeah. so, yeah, he was old and you weren't expecting much from him, but like something, give me something. And the, they just got nothing from him. And so, you know, I, I think that there are, there are definitely cases to be made. Someone brought up, um, Jeez, I forget who the heck it was. Um, brought up uh, Charles Johnson, which I thought was an interesting name back from 01, all the way back in 01, um, who, you know, was a was a guy they brought in to play wide receiver who just never could um never could get it going. Aaron Schatz from uh, from Football Outsiders, he had he brought in um he had mentioned Charles Johnson, and he's like, that's the guy that that I'd probably put on that list, you know, over either Taylor or Wayne or or Galloway. But um you know, a lot of, a lot of names on there that you're like, Oh my goodness. Like, I can't believe, you know, I can't believe they did it. And Aaron Dobson won another one where you're like, man, like Keenan Allen. Like, and that's, that's why I like naming the regions because, you know, the Chad Jackson story to me is, is such a fascinating one where like the Patriots trade up and get Chad Jackson and they trade up with green Bay, green Bay trades back and drafts Greg Jennings in that spot, you know, whereas I think it was, I think it was what the year earlier or two years earlier where Green Bay trades out the Patriots trade back and Green Bay draft Clay Matthews. And so it's like, right. you know, it's kind of funny how that happens. And, you know, Patriots pass on Demarcus Lawrence to draft Dominique Easley. And you're like, Demarcus Lawrence, like, you know, and so that's, you know, and Keenan Allen's the other, the other big one. And Mark Andrews, look, was drafted in the same year that Duke Dawson was drafted. So that's why he's on there because right. the Patriots don't have a tight end right now. And and it'd be pretty nice to have Mark Andrews as their tight end. So, uh, but it they, you know, they felt the need of. You know, at the same time, there are stories that have gone sort of in New England's favor. I mean, you know, oh, you look yeah. at, for example, it was what was it was the Seymour draft, right? Where yep. David you know, Terrell. I've been told, yeah, you know, the Browns at three. I've been told that they were done. They went home the night before the draft. And they were convinced. Look, you got Vic, you got Leonard Davis. We're drafted Richard Seymour at three. Like that's who we're going to draft, really? right? And then the, the, day, the day of the draft comes in, and Butch Davis writes in the name, turns in the card, and it's Gerald Warren because he had coached against him. And like everybody like lost their minds. They were like, "We were drafted Richard Seymour. Why are we doing this?" It's crazy. And you know what happens next? Justin Smith goes at four to the Bengals. LDT to the Chargers at five. Like obviously Hall of Fame career there, but Patriots yeah. at six. Richard Seymour falls into their lap, and so crazy. it could have been a situation where. You know, if the Browns, they do draft Seymour instead of Gerald Warren, who knows what happens there. So, you know, there's always, you know, guys that have fallen to New England that they've been able to take advantage of. But, yeah, it's yeah. crazy to draw. Well, I think I think it's more fun here than it would be, you know, in a place like Cleveland because because oh, the Patriots yeah. have been so successful, right? It's, it's okay to look back on those. And, yeah, they kill you, right? I love Chad Jackson, and I wanted him to be good. I loved Aaron Dobson, and I wanted him to be great. But like they weren't, but it didn't kill them because they still end up winning a ton of Super Bowls. And so it's just like, hey, like, what are you going to do? You know, they draft Dobson in 13. They win a Super Bowl in 14. You know, it's just like that's what happens, you know. And so 
it's like not the end of the world because we're still the Patriots and they're still winning. But it's like you look back and you're like, oh, man, like some of these guys. And, you know, Scott Chandler's one that always pissed me off because I was like, he was so good against us in Buffalo. And he came here and he was so, just so bad when he was here. It was yeah. just like, well, how did he do that against us in Buffalo for so many years? And he was just so bad here, you know. But, yeah, I anyways, mean, it's fun, yeah. so. Yeah, no, it's great. It was a great concept, and it's awesome that people are are digging it. Yeah, and we're going to – so the way it's going to work is that we're going to get some articles out. There's going to be polls on the articles, and we're also going to release polls on Twitter. And so then the combination of those polls and the articles and the, and the polls on Twitter, we're going to figure out a winner for each matchup, and it's going to go, obviously, from the round of 32 to the Sweet 16 to the Elite 8 to the Final Four, and then, obviously, the championship game, and, and then we'll see who – you know, who ultimately is the biggest bust of the Belichick era. So it should be interesting to kind of see, uh, to see what the matchups looks like. I think in the first round, there's really not a ton of super close uh, matchups in the first round, but as we kind of get further away, it's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, to see, to see how it shakes out. So. No, definitely. But anyways, but Hey, Mark, thanks so much for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. And like I said, uh, you know, congrats on the, uh, on the new gig you got going on and, Look, I, I think, in my opinion, no one is more deserving than you. Uh, you know, I I feel – well, I know I, I, I can speak for all of Pat's poll, but we feel extremely happy, you know, and lucky to have you on, on the team. Um, you know, you're, you're constantly putting out great content and uh, very knowledgeable, obviously, and also, you know, a great guy as well. And so so we always appreciate, you know, having you on and uh, and, and having you on the team, you know. Well, I'm I'm happy to be part of the team. Um, it's it's been a blast uh, being part of the pulpit. We got such a great group of people, um, men and women covering this game, covering this team. It's it's been a joy to be a part of it. Um, and yeah, we'll keep crushing it through draft season. Roll into uh, hopefully it's a much better year than 2019 was. Yeah, let's hope so, right? And so listen, go out and follow Mark if you don't. I mean, Jesus Christ, if you don't follow Mark on on Twitter already, like let's 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 figure it out, okay? You get all the Toto and and Scrubs content you can ask for. It's uh, it's at Mark Schofield on Twitter. So make sure you're following him on Twitter if you don't already do so. And, you know, if you're subscribing to the pod, you're getting the Sco Show already. So hopefully you're doing that there because you you're getting the Sco Show and you're getting, you know, you're getting Patriot Nation podcast as well. So but thank you again, Mark. We really appreciate it. And, uh, and hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Sounds great, buddy. Thanks for having me.